Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Alison Rudd. Gregor and Alison, good to speak to you today. How are you doing, Alison? Oh, I'm good. It's always it's always good to be um, to be embroiled in, in financial <laughs> stuff. <laughs> oh, yes. I can't. I tell you what. I tell you what. I cannot believe. I cannot believe it was my sister's birthday today, and oh. she lives up near Wigan. And I phoned her up, and she'll say, "Oh, she's got a a ten year old." She said, he woke up, he woke up and started singing, not happy birthday, but City have won, City have won, because he's a Man City fan. <laughs> Who'd have thought the announcement, the announcement of something this dry would would cause such elation? Maybe we're misreading it. Maybe we've become cynical. Maybe this is the future. Maybe FFP um, sanctions are, are what makes the youngsters excited these days. <laughs> Well, clearly, maybe maybe we have to wait until our own individual clubs are involved in an FFP issue, then then we might understand it fully, I suppose. But Gregor, we'll talk more about FFP in just a moment. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. Yes, yes. Uh, I too have been in, delighted in uh, delighted to be reading up about financial fair play regulations all morning. I've just been reading a piece that said. Uh, that this is the big, biggest result in Manchester City's 140-year history. Mm. I mean, that might be slightly stretching it, but uh, clearly it's a big one. And I think that's it's not going to be much else to speak about today, is there? No, it's certainly the, uh, the headline maker of the day. Just before we move on, what's happening with your, your runs, Gregor? We haven't talked about that for a while. <laughs> you're running and also your, your cocktail making. Have we Co- uh, different cocktails? or Running, uh, I never got beyond 20, down, down lower than 20 minutes although the gyms um, are reopening at the end of the month and yes. also actually I went at the weekend although they did it all outdoors and that was really good to kind of do something it wasn't just like pounding the streets yourself or on, on a bike so you can feel like we're getting back to some semblance of normality now I even got a haircut as well I've laid off the uh, the cocktails for a while yeah oh, okay and Alison what about the adventurous scrabble that you were playing are you still doing that <laughs> No, don't scrabble. <laughs> For FFP, lucky you. <laughs> yeah, maybe okay. maybe I should invent an FFP scrabble. There you go, you see. It's the gift that keeps on giving, obviously. <laughs> uh, coming up, we're going to look at a thrilling finish for the battle to stay up after a weekend where four of the bottom five all won and we ask just how far Tottenham and Arsenal have fallen. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
The big news today is that Manchester City will be playing Champions League football next season after their two-year European ban from UEFA was overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. UEFA issued the ban in February after ruling City had committed serious breaches of financial fair play regulations between 2012 and 2016. But today's statement from CAS said their three-man panel's findings emphasise that most of the alleged breaches reported by the adjudicatory chamber of the CFCB were either not established or time-barred, referring to the five-year timescale permitted in the investigation. In today's ruling, City were, however, guilty of failing to cooperate with UEFA authorities, so they still have a reduced fine of €10 million Euros to pay. However, with the European ban potentially costing the club £200 million over the next two years, today was a huge victory for the club over UEFA. Manchester City fans, as we've been hearing, already very happy today, but does the ruling leave a bad taste in the mouth over financial fair play. What do you think, Alison? We have to um, tease out the different things going on here. I don't, I do not believe the result means that automatically means that financial fair play regulations are bad or uh, wrongly devised and so on. I think you could probably still make a very good case for the, the principles that go behind financial fair play which is that a football governing body would like clubs to spend what they earn and try and tick over as uh, valid businesses. Mm -hmm. I think on that basic level, that, that, that there's not a lot to argue against that. The bad taste is more that if you're going to have rules about income and wealth, you're not going to be able to impose those rules against people who are incredibly wealthy <laughs> because they'll they'll find a way through it and also if you're going to impose rules such as financial play regulations which um, have caused a big stir in the world of football since 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 the day they arrived and they've continually been a headache um, and been seen as controversial you you have to have uh, watertight ways of imposing sanctions and adjudicating and quite clearly in this instance UEFA just looked very stupid because they pursued this whilst there was um, a, a, a deadline on it they weren't allowed you know their own rules said they weren't allowed to investigate beyond a certain time frame which, which just makes I mean it makes you wonder who's been paid to work on this case so the bad taste is more that it's it's high profile and looks um, amateurish I think I think we need to separate them out. There's, there's how UEFA have pursued Man City is one issue, which is ineptly. And the second one is, should they be bothering with financial fair play? Because I think that they're two, they're two separate. Do you not see what I mean? They are two yeah. separate arguments Do and emotions in this. Yeah. So we know why financial fair play was brought in. Gregor, do, do you do you feel there is a point at all to financial fair play when you see the likes of Man City winning their case? PSG previously have have won a, an appeal against UEFA as well when they were trying to open an investigation into their financial affairs. Do you feel that it, that it works? And and in some ways, do you feel that actually there are certain clubs who are following it diligently who may well be, be penalised for the sense in the sense that you know they're not having the, the, the riches of P PSG and Man City? Well, uh, there has to be some kind of financial fair play regulations, and, and it has worked in 
to some extent. I mean, the the purpose was to reduce debt. When it came in, you know, I think I think European football was losing collectively about one point seven billion pounds a year. Um, and then, you know, I think within within six years they were turning a five hundred million profit. And even even pre-COVID, I think the most recent was about 150 million profit. So, in one sense, in that regard, it's worked. But the 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 as debts fallen, revenues have skyrocketed, and the type of people or now countries that are that are owning football clubs has been transformed. And I don't think the rules really are f- fit for purpose anymore. Um, and, and I just think that the uh, while that's happened, well. Well, uh, revenues have skyrocketed, and although debt has fallen, everything has, has become far more polarised. You know, we can pick pick out the winners uh, either from one of one of two or three teams in every single league in Europe, really, and some some leagues such as Germany and and Italy. We know who's going to win it before the season starts. So, I think FFP is something that it needs to be rewritten. Essentially, I don't think, and I think the worst part is. That this was the biggest punishment ever imposed by UEFA, football's European governing body. The biggest punishment ever imposed has been reduced to a nine million pound fine. And and even the fact that they 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 originally handed down a, a, a two year ban from European football that even left wiggle room. That left room for them to, for it to be halved. Everyone thought, you know, they'll reduce it to one year, and that's kind of that's a, still a serious punishment. It's a step forward. But now that now that uh, Cass has overruled that, and and essentially, you know, it's also important to say that City have not been exonerated here. You know, yeah. as a technicality. So, what the 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 nasty taste for me is more that it's depressing that a football club is able, that's backed by a country's wealth, is able to essentially subvert the rules laid out by European football's governing body, uh, and. You know, it's like it's like when accountants are paid huge sums by massive firms to find loopholes and, and avoid to avoid paying tax. They often try and succeed to play and, and succeed in playing by their own rules, and that's kind of what we've seen happening today. I mean, it's it was such an interesting outcome to this case, as you pointed out, Greg. Or many were expecting perhaps that the the punishment would be halved and they'd serve out a one year ban when it came to the to the Champions League. Uh, Alison, will we ever take an FFP ruling seriously again when I've mentioned the likes of Manchester City, the likes of PSG, they've, they've all successfully won their cases? Well, yeah, they've, they've um, ironically created uh, an environment which was the one they were trying to, to move away from because they, want, they wanted... The ideal here behind FFP is that you everyone has a chance to rewarded for running a tight ship and that success breeds success rather than artificial pumping in of, of money mm. but what you a lot of clubs have since it's been introduced uh, nine years ago that a lot of clubs have fallen foul of the regulations but they're all relatively small when they're compared to Manchester City and PSG um, and QPR in just in England QPR Fulham Bolton Forest Bournemouth they've all They've all taken um, a hit, usually with a transfer embargo, for not, you know, for quite minor infringements often, um, where you 
you know, you look at the, the defences those clubs put forward and they, they all seem quite reasonable because operating a football club is quite complicated. It's not, it's not like owning a sweet shop where you buy in stock and you hope to sell the sherbet lemons for a certain price and before they go off, it's, it's more complicated than that. And, you know, you, you don't get relegated and promoted as a sweet shop. Usually, I mean, maybe sometimes if they build a superstore around the corner, you are relegated. But it's it's a complicated business and it's a business that involves emotion as well. I mean, people, rich people and, as Gregor points out, rich nations, they buy into football for reasons beyond um, making a profit. They buy in for status and uh, diversionary tactics and political reasons as well. They're, they're difficult things to to write rules about. And so I think, I think given that we've now got a case where small clubs fall foul and, and are punished, and the really, really big ones, the, one, <laughs> the ones who feel in themselves persecuted, because what they argue is that this is all against the um, anti-elite, this is to protect the established clubs, who can be unsuccessful, by the way, and still, and still be allowed to be uh, deemed to have passed the rules because their very fame allows them to create income because they have worldwide worldwide merchandising income, which they come which comes from just being who they are as opposed to being successful. So it is complicated, but you have now got um, a haves and have nots uh, league within the the. The, the clubs that ought to be being punished for overspending. And if they can get away with it, then yes, you have to rethink what you're trying to achieve and a better way of doing it. And also they are, just to say finally on that, they, it, it is slightly cloud cuckoo land because this, this is all capitalism and rich, rich people will want to buy stuff and you can't suddenly say that's not allowed. That isn't how the world... The Western world operates. So it just seems slightly naive from the word go. The, the very biggest and the richest will find a way. Mm. Um, and also, we haven't even addressed why it came to this in the first place. And do we morally, with a governing body taking on board um, hacking, which which you know is illegal, and in this case was found to be illegal. And if it, you know, that gives City the, the excuse that hacking is illegal and it also presents evidence out of context. I think if you're, if you're a governing body, you should have better access to financial information than relying on somebody who's breaking the law. Mm. Well, let's ask a question then, Gregor. Where, where does this case leave you for? Pretty impotent, I think. Um, you know, as as we said, the, the, the PSG... AC Milan. I think that's interesting, interesting as well. You know, Man City, as we said, owned by a country. PSG, owned by Qatar. AC Milan were under Chinese ownership, which came after basically an edict from the country's president to go forth and invest in football. So we're, you know, it is interesting that all these that the 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 investment is coming from. It's almost state backed, and it's and it's just extraordinary that football and in the time that. It's in the time that FFP was introduced, you know, it's in the last decade, really, that this is that football has become a kind of a battleground for 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 far greater um, geopolitical kind of 
aims really. Um, I, where where does it leave UEFA? I think really it has to rewrite its rule its 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 rules, and it has to it has to it has already come out and said you know it's made a statement that it, FFP is vital, um, but I think it needs to be it needs to be focused a little bit more on debt. You know, the, the, a lot of people point out that City actually don't have any debt. Manchester United and Barcelona have huge debt. And, you know, there's the whole issue about leverage buyouts. Um, I also think, you know, that if we're going to start talking about how how, uh, how, how, how this can be better policed or how how we can make some changes to these rules, I think if the, if the reason that the reason that people are spending money is players. I think we should reduce the number of players that they're allowed to allowed to buy and allowed to pay huge wages to. You know, if you look at the the, the volume of squads and and the hoovering up of talent that Manchester City and other clubs do, um, I think if you reduce the the the, the number of players that that they're allowed to have on their books, I think that will go a long way to to kind of reducing the peril that a lot of these clubs are. <laughs> in theory, could be putting themselves in. Does that all make sense to you, Alison? Is that what we should be doing going forward, changing the rules to, to make sure it becomes more a fairer playing field? Well, um, John Barnes tweeted today, um, uh, congratulations to City, but maybe we should now look at it, a salary cap, which is far more straightforward to implement and police than financial fair play. I actually prefer Gregor's suggestion, um, which is, I think, what one of the things that's come out of the um, of COVID and having um, extra subs is that even at the Premier League level, which is the elite level, that has really shone a light on on the disparity of of, of what clubs have available on their bench, let alone the, you know the entire squad and access to feeder clubs and so on. And you do, I do think. Because of the whole idea of we do live in a capitalist society and the very best player should be able to get the income he can get, it's going to be hard to stop that. But if you can say, fine, you can you can sign uh, Lionel Messi and you can play him, pay him what he deserves as one of the greatest players the world has ever seen, but you can't have more than X number of players registered to play, that, that would be a leveller. I mean, you know, I bet you there are people who don't want football to be levelled out, though. You know, that some people really, really... I've always assumed wrongly that if um, you're a fan of a, a team that has access to seemingly, you know, wells and wells of cash, that takes the edge off victory and makes it all seem a bit false and not like it used to be in all days sort of thing. Actually, fans get often fans get very used very quickly to knowing that they're capable of bidding for the best players and they get a kick out of that. It's almost a separate part of being a fan and a separate part of the excitement of football is who can we buy, who can we buy, who are we going to sign, how much will we bet? You know, it's, it's almost a sport in itself. And, uh, I mean, I'm sort of... Um, slightly to the left of centre in my politics, and sometimes very left on some things. But just because, I mean, I don't. I mean, you know, it's, I, I, I think it's it's a value judgment that that's that we should want football to be levelled out like that. Maybe maybe what matters most of all is that if you own a football club, 
you can you can own it responsibly and meet not bring debt to the club first of all and secondly uh, enhance it and then once you accept you want an owner who can enhance the club that means investing doesn't it and owners do that in different ways at Fulham for example I don't think anyone could argue that Shad Khan isn't a completely respectable self-made businessman but at some point in the future Fulham will gain an advantage from being surrounded by very posh cafes because they're building a wharf there. It's going to be a destination. It, it, it one day might transform what that club stands for because that, and, and not a penny of that will be spent on players or on, the, you know, on, on feeder clubs. It will be spent on status and facilities. So it's intricate, it's difficult, and I'm not sure all fans think level playing field is what they want anyway. When you're looking at this, it's there's three things, it's three key things. The first thing, you've got to allow investment. And that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people say FFP uh, creates this cartel of elite clubs. So it has to be, you have to be able, have to allow owners to invest in their football clubs, first of all. You have to have some semblance of competitive balance. You know, as Alison said, you could, there might be some people who want, who would like a club to be able to spend any figure in the world and signing a player and paying Messi a million pounds a week or whatever, but that's not good for football. And the last thing is sustainability, because look, if, although it's a different level, if you look at someone like Wigan Athletic, whose owners have just absolutely pulled the plug, if the club is paying someone <laughs> several hundred thousand pounds a week, you know, if they're pay, if they're if they're Funding huge. The owner is re they're reliant on the owner funding huge losses rather than in some way tying uh, their outgoings to their incomings. Then that is a recipe for disaster because one day someone will walk away, and the club will be doomed. So, you know, th th those are the three things. And it is, as Alison said, it's very hard to to marry them all up. Um, but that's the challenge facing UEFA, unfortunately. Well, where does this leave Pep Guardiola and his array of, no doubt, relieved stars? Manchester City were aware of the decision prior to today's announcement, with Pep Guardiola insisting throughout that the decision would be overturned as they had done nothing wrong and had nothing to hide. But there were still murmurings and rumours that perhaps the likes of Guardiola and star players like Kevin De Bruyne would, would be leaving. Do you think that would have been the case, Alison? Do you really think Guardiola, De Bruyne... Could could have considered leaving? Oh God, absolutely. I mean, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> if you think about it in, I don't know, strip away the romance of football. Why on earth would Pep have stayed? Because he's proven he can win the Premier League and win it in style. Uh, he's what he's got to do is a re one of the main reasons he was brought in was to was to bring champ Champions League triumph to the club. If he was going to be denied the opportunity to do that. Um, I think it would have been really difficult for him to stay, actually. I think the more uh, interesting dilemma would have been if the, um, the, the, the decision had sort of been to halve the punishment so City had had a one-year ban instead of the original two that was uh, delivered. Uh, would, would that have been enough to, to have kept him on? And I think then it would have been in the balance. But if, if the two-year ban had been imposed, I just, don't, I just don't see that it would have been... a um, a very attractive proposition for him for him to be there because all he would have done would have been to have watched the star players slowly start to walk away 
um, there were, you know, there was contradictory noises. But as soon as you know there's at least a bit of contradiction in the noises, you know some players are going to say say one thing but be thinking another. You know, their lifespan at the very peak isn't that long. Two years is a long time in football. Um, if you if you if you've got it on your wish list to win win in Europe, you're not going to stay at a club. And it would have felt it would have felt really unbalanced, wouldn't it, to have been watching City with everyone staying put <laughs> on their big wages, just just not not aiming for the thing that the owners really wanted. So it, it, I think it would have been odd for for um, the really the big star names to have stayed. Um, so, but now presumably it will give them an injection of woohoo and uh, make 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 that make that march towards a possible european triumph feel like oh you know it'll feel like destiny now won't it it'll even though nothing has actually changed it will make them feel like they've had a bonus i, I mm. suspect well we know the strained relationship that manchester city have had with uefa so in a way that only adds to the motivation for them to go out and secure that that precious Champions League that they've been hoping for for so long, Gregor. Yeah, I suppose it probably does. I think, I think actually, the kind of, of greater importance is that this result, this kind of decision today, means that there's not any asterisk against all their, their past achievements, because that's what it would have done if they, you know they would have essentially been saying that officially that they had cheated to to uh, to win the silverware and. Um, so I think that's more important, but there's no doubt that I don't think I don't think that this has had any effect on their season so far. But I think it could be a, a bit of, have a bit of a, a galvanising effect for them uh, when the the rest of the Champions League comes round. You say it hasn't affected their season so far. Obviously, they've known about it since February. Um, can off-field matters, though, have any impact on a dressing room, Gregor? Yeah, but I mean. I wouldn't say that this. I wouldn't say this is one of them. You know, if 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 a club is, you know, I've mentioned Wigan Athletic. If a club has uh, got some serious sort of financial troubles by, uh, off the field, then that that can obviously have an impact on a dressing room. I think this is something that you know it would be slightly disquieting about the future, but I don't think it's going to have affected them day to day. They're still earning their same same salaries. They're still. The, the, the problems Manchester City have faced this season have been footballing ones. They've had injuries to key players um, and at times they've been blunt in front of goals, which has been hard to really hard to find the reasons why. So, And Liverpool have, have opened up a huge gap and it was it was clear for a long time that that was a gap that was going to be hard, impossible to bridge. So I don't think it's had any effect on them this season and on the football pitch, but I think, you know, it's almost... It's almost like... As you say, their their relationship with with UEFA uh, has certainly been rocky for a, for a while, and I'm sure that Guardiola will be, and and everyone at Manchester City will be using that as a kind of a little bit of an incentive to say, look, this it's almost uh, create a little bit of a siege mentality almost. Um, mm-hmm. So look, I think City have got a good chance in in the Champions League this year. Players have returned from injury. Aguero's out. That's a that's a big loss, but. Um, I think they've got a good chance and and, uh, what a year for them to do. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Manchester City news makes the picture clearer for the remainder of the season. There'll be no additional Champions League spot available for fifth place with the traditional race for the top four well and truly back on. Before that, let's have a look at the top six following Tottenham's North London derby victory over Arsenal yesterday. It leaves Spurs in eighth and two points above ninth place Arsenal. Jose Mourinho has said if a Europa League spot is possible, he wants to do all he can to make that happen. But judging on what we saw yesterday... Alison, can you see either North London side making those all-important Europa League places? Um, no, well, not just on what we saw yesterday. Actually, it was um, what we saw yesterday was one of the best Spurs performances, I think, for a long time under Jose Mourinho. Um, it was, they, they, in some respects, they looked transformed as a unit really disciplined and brave and patient and really, really frustrated Arsenal who who had more possession. But let's not forget Spurs summoned a lot of shots in that game. It wasn't just a, a, a it wasn't just a smash and grab. They that they plotted their way through that game really well. I'm not sure it's enough for either of them to make the Europa League. It, which seems counterintuitive because one of them ought to but I just don't. I don't think they sh- they will. And I want. I would quite like Tottenham too. I quite like quite like the idea that Jose Mourinho has now become a specialist in the second grade <laughs> European competitions, and he has to justify being part of the Europa League every season. It's quite amusing, really. He did start off saying it was rubbish, and it's all that's left to him now. But um, uh, no, I I don't I don't I don't I don't because I don't think it's entirely in their hands and. I think yesterday's performance aside, I think there are clubs that are still still in better form than either of them and have fewer internal problems than either of them. So I think they both of them might just miss out. So does that mean you're rooting for the likes of Wolves and, and perhaps Sheffield United to, to clinch those Europe spaces then, Alison? I'm not. It's not that I'm rooting, rooting for them emotionally. I just think they probably deserve them. I yeah. think I would. I would say Sheffield United had a little blip, um, but they're they're back to the best that they were before Project Restart. Um, 
And yeah, I think probably most neutrals would like Sheffield United to to finish above Spurs and Arsenal because it's a funny but b points to the fact that it sort of underlines everything we've just been talking about financial fair play. A club with no money at all, <laughs> a club with mainly players that are rejects or were peaking in League One or the Championship, can with um, the right manager and the right mindset. Uh, completely stir things up. Everyone wants to see that. And we seem to have one sort of one sort of piece of magic every season and we need it, don't we? So in that sense I'm rooting for them. But yes. they're, they're they're not they don't need rooting for they're doing it they're doing it without me rooting for them. They're doing really well. So I, I would I would I right now think that Sheffield United will finish above Tottenham and Arsenal. And I think they'll finish above Leicester. So they're <laughs> above Leicester as well. <laughs> wow, that is a call, Alison. Wow, I mean, I mean, we really. I can see, Leicester... I can see, I can, I can see Leicester not winning another game. Well, they are in free fall, aren't they? As I mean, restart has not gone well for Leicester at all. We'll come on to the the European places and and how it'll all finish up in just a moment. But just talking about the North London sides, Gregor. Oh dear, where do you start with them? Who is in a, a better shape, shall we say, for the start of of next season, Tottenham or Arsenal? I think Alison was being a bit kind there, I, and I think you know there. I think there seems to be huge swings with Mourinho after the Bournemouth game. He was a busted flush, and now he's kind of it was a tactical masterclass. I think Spurs scored a scored a winner from a set piece, and they were gifted another from a comical Arsenal backline. Um, and yes, they did look more solid and resolute, and they did well to nullify uh, Tierney and Bellerin on the on the flanks. Um, but I would still say Arsenal are in better shape personally. I'd, I don't think, I think the atmosphere around around Spurs is still not good, and I think he'll do well. Mourinho will do well to get that group of players to perform even to that level on a consistent basis, or to be happy to perform in su- in such that way in a sort of in such a reactive team rather than a, you know when they've been playing a certain style of football for so many years under Pochettino, he's not going to have a lot of money to spend on that squad. So I don't think. I don't think the future is particularly good for Spurs. I think Arsenal, you can see, not again, not a lot has changed from, you know, although we, we, we I in particular hammered Arsenal and a lot of the players after the Brighton game, and they've had a good run since then, they've still got a comical back line. Um, some of the things Mustafi was doing in the second half, it was just kind of like hiding behind your, your hands kind of stuff. He was diving in and... and uh, just panicked, really panicked, and Glasnic made a, a huge blunder. David Luiz uh, didn't really help him out much for the goal. So I think you know Ars- Ar- Arsenal with 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 a few signings or a cu- even a couple of signings at the back would look like a, a much more secure unit. And I think they have the they have set their signs there that Arteta is kind of his influence on the team and and the way that he wants them to play. Are there and it's there's, that's going to be effective, um, but I still think there's a long way for either of them to to go mm-hmm. to to bridge the gap to the kind of to the top two top two elite teams. So you're you're sort of heading towards Arsenal being in a, I think a better Arsenal position. Are, yeah. Well, what about you, Alison? Can you make a case for Tottenham? Could they be in a better shape? <laughs> I. Maybe I think I'll go on for the sake of argument. I'll say yeah, I think that's a <laughs> because I mean, more information if, than just that. <laughs> if Mourinho can get them to play the way he likes his teams to play, 
And it's not a constant battle between the Spursy way and the Mourinho way. If he can just win that power play, if you like, and say, look, you've employed me to, tr- to win silverware. Let me do it the way I want to do it. Then perhaps, perhaps, perhaps they are better placed. I just think Arsenal need to spend an awful lot more money than they're going to be prepared to. I think they need more than just a couple. Of, I think they need a whole new defence, and I think they need um, a lot more guile and strength in midfield as well. I, 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 I think they need more, but I think Spurs actually have a lot of a lot of really good players. And what what was most impressive about the game, the North London derby, was that they actually looked physically like they'd bought into a Mourinho plan so that they soaked up the flair and the possession in a really patient, intelligent way and broke with intelligence also. And there was, honestly, I thought the players looked half an inch, inch taller, the Spurs players, for being whatever they've done post Larisse Son bust-up and so on. They looked like they decided, look, what are we going to do here? Are we going to be flaky again or are we going to actually push on so um, I think in terms of the running start from the start of next season who will start in the better position I think it will be Spurs but I just don't think I just don't think Arteta is going to be able to put together the squad his undoubted ability as a manager deserves I just I think he's going to be hampered by having to fit relatively poor players into key positions well, I mentioned we were going to discuss how the top four, top six is, is going to end up. Why don't we do that now? Just three games to go. It's all all very much up for grabs. So it's time for, you to, for me to put you on the spot, Alison and, and Gregor, and let's see how you can predict that top six and how it will finish. Now, of course, we know the top two, Liverpool, Manchester City. But if I could ask you for your top four, who completes the top four? Gregor, let's come to you first, because we know Alison's discounted Leicester altogether. Um, <laughs> but let's come to you first on your top four. I think, I think. I mean, who, who would have thunk it? But I think uh, <laughs> Manchester United are um, are going to finish third. They're, they oh. look unstoppable at the moment. The way that uh, Greenwood, in particular, with that whole front three has been playing, Fernandez has inspired them, Pogba... Seems to have, you know, he's the, the burden, the creative burden's been taken off him a bit. Um, they look like a much more balanced team, and I think with their running, they look, they look best place for third. I think Alison, Alison might be right about Leicester. I mean, they were Sheffield United and Spurs, and then Man United. Yeah. So, oh. and they really are in free fall. Uh, and can I just point out, Gregor, if you think Man United are going to finish third, that means they have to beat Leicester. And that means Leicester will drop out. Yes, yes. Um, I just think, I think you know, <laughs> Brendan Rodgers is he he looked quite kind of shell shocked as well after that performance at Bournemouth, um, and who you know you can't blame him because it was kind of two minutes of madness. Um, but and he's, there's always been a slight question mark about when his teams hit a rocky patch like that how he kind of how he how he finds his way out. Um so it's, it's gonna be an interesting end to the season for them. And obviously so Yunchu is suspended now. Um so that's I, I, well, I've only got one, haven't I, so far? Yeah, got, <laughs> you can give me who's gonna finish in fourth. Fourth. I think Chelsea. Chelsea for you. 
Norwich is pretty much a gimme. They've got Liverpool and Wolves. I think Chelsea t- tend to kind of turn up more in the in those big games, um, as they did against Manchester City, for example. So you know, obviously the Wolves game also looks very could be a tasty one at the end of the season too. Um, but I still think that Chelsea have have kind of they've had these dips before and they've bounced back quite well from them. So that's my top four. Do you want five and six as well? Yeah, I do. I'm interested. No, just uh, Leicester obviously for you drops out of the top four. Do they at least secure your Europa League place? Or are you like Alison thinking actually there will be other teams that are going to overtake them? Well, it's looking at the maths of it now, isn't it? They're four four points separating them and Wolves in sixth, um, and Sheffield United two behind them. I mean. Obviously, th- these teams play each other as well, so they're they're going to be key games. I think, I think, I think Leicester might finish fifth, and then I think it'll be between Wolves and Sheffield United for the last place. I think I don't think Tottenham or Arsenal are are going to. I think they've, they've, they've left themselves too much, too much to do with with too little time. So that's my top six. You haven't given me a top six. You just said, and uh, maybe Wolves or Sheffield United. That's not. I need Liverpool. Confirmed. Liverpool City. Yep. United, Chelsea. United, Chelsea. Leicester. Leicester. <laughs> I wanted to be Sheffield United, but I think it's going to be Wolves. All right. Well, you've gone over, so you've gone with your head there over your heart. Yes. All right. Let's let's turn to. I want to say there was a tone of smugness to Alison when she went. Well, <laughs> that means Manchester United have to beat Leicester, and that means they'll drop out of the top four. No, um, there was. I was only. I was only being <laughs> smug because I. I t- I just no, tried to I work out. <laughs> just tried to work out. You know, it's it's all very well saying emotionally what you think the top six will be, but some 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 top sixes aren't mathematically correct. You can't have, you know what I mean? For some yes. teams to do well, that means other teams that you think will also do well won't do well. And um, if I, I also had Man United finishing third, but that meant in my calculations of all the games that I think the points will unfold, it, that Leicester have to finish sixth, really. Okay. So <laughs> because, you, because, you, I think, because I think Sheffield United will finish above Leicester, but for that okay. to happen, that okay. means Leicester would have to lose. Anyway, you, you can see what I'm getting at. It's, it's a permutation, <laughs> isn't it? It's a permutation. You've got into great detail and trying to work well, out. Well, I may not have done it terribly accurately, but I think, <laughs> I, think, I think if you run through the list of games, it's possible to have... Man U, I agree, it's going to be Man U, then Chelsea in third and fourth, and then Sheffield United, and then Leicester, I think. Really? Probably. Interesting. So what is it about Sheffield United? Let me ask both of you, because obviously I know, Gregor, you went for Wolves, but you, your heart is going towards Sheffield United. What is it about Sheffield United, Alison, that you're picking them over Wolves? Because because they're not they're not inconsistent in a week by week basis. They've simply had a blip. Other, otherwise, that blip at the start of restart is um, there are lots of reasons why that can happen. And they were really really had a few bad decisions that can rock you and you know your bar and so on. So I think every team's allowed a blip. But if you if you and if you remove the blip, everything about them is highly commendable that they. Their performance levels never dip. They are so structured, so unflaky. Um, the 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 whole policy of keep the defence the way it is knows what it's doing, but rotate like crazy. 
at the top of the pitch to keep people hungry is sounds like a um, pretty basic philosophy, but so few people do it. And it's it, he's just made Chris Wilder has just made it work. Um, they're just and they're not they're not even boring. They're not they're not even doing it in a boring way. It's you know it's attractive, interesting football that they play, and um, it's just it's just it's just so commendable. So I want to succeed. I want it to succeed, and um, I like the idea of Chris Wilder giving Klopp a run for his money as manager of the season also, because underlying all of this, of course, is Sheffield United have the lowest wage bill in the division. Well, it promises to be a thrilling finish at the bottom of the Premier League as well after a weekend which saw Norwich relegated, but the other four of the bottom five all win. Mikel Antonio scored all four goals in West Ham's demolition of Norwich to send them back to the championship before Watford came from behind to beat Newcastle 2-1. But any suggestions that West Ham and Watford fans could rest easy were dismissed on Sunday when Aston Villa beat Crystal Palace before a remarkable game saw Bournemouth score four second-half goals to beat Leicester 4-1. Okay, so we're looking at the other end of the table. How many teams do you think are in this relegation fight? How how many places do we have to go up to? If we look at Brighton in 15th place, Gregor, are they secure for you or can we also bring them into the equation? I think they probably need a point. I think 37 might be enough to stay up this year. Um I think partly because Bournemouth and Villa uh, are on 31 and 30, they've also got a, a far worse goal difference than than most than everyone everyone above them. Uh, Watford could be dragged in. There's only three goals between them and Bournemouth, um, but the other the others are we're looking at nine or ten. So um, I think you know Brighton have Brighton have got Southampton, Newcastle, and Burnley, and I, I would think they will get a point from that. So I think we can discount. Discount Brighton, um, and then when you look when you look after that again, it's about these head to heads. I mean, this Watford and West Ham, uh, which is coming up this week. That's 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 a huge game, because after that, Watford have Man City and Arsenal, um, West Ham have Man United, and then Villa on the last day. So, I think we're we're promising. <laughs> there's we're looking at some some seriously. Uh, nail biting games in these next these next three games, and possibly you know quite possibly going down to the last game of the season as well. You mentioned West Ham. Well, they're on thirty four points. They've got Watford at home on Friday, followed by Manchester United away, and then finish with Villa at home, which could be a massive game, obviously for both sides. As for Watford, then they're on the same level of points as uh, West Ham. But as we say, they go to West Ham on Friday. Then it's Manchester City at home for them. Uh, ending the season away at Arsenal. As for Bournemouth, then, who are three points off safety, Manchester City awaits them next. That's at the Etihad. Then they have uh, a South Coast derby with Southampton at home, finishing with a trip to Goodison Park and Everton. And as for Aston Villa, who are four points from safety, it's Everton first up for them. That's away. Arsenal at home, and they then finish with that big game, as we've mentioned, away at West Ham. So when you hear those fixtures to come, Alison, who do you think has the best run in? Well, I think it's really, maybe it's just the the circles I uh, operate in, Natalie, (laughs) but it does feel like when people are talking about 
for relegation battles. They, can, they just don't talk about Watford anymore. It's as if, I don't know why that is. I think they've got a tough run in um, if they were to, I mean, I could see them, I could see them going down instead of Bournemouth at this point, to be quite honest. It's, a, it's, it's possible. And for some reason, people talk about, that talk about Villa, Bournemouth, and then they leapfrog Watford, and then they talk about West Ham and toy a little bit with Brighton. And I don't know. I don't. I've no idea why that is. They're still Watford is still in a very precarious position. So I, I don't. I don't. I just think maybe, maybe at this point, at this point, looking at the fixtures, you could you could make. I think you could definitely make a case for Watford replacing Bournemouth in the bottom three. I think. I. I mean, maybe it all depends on Friday night's game. But it's, yeah. It's tough. And let's just face it, I think Bournemouth have got... Haven't Bournemouth got Everton on the last day? Yes, Everton away. See, that's that's three points in the bag for Bournemouth, isn't it? So... (laughs) You factor that in, it's looking relatively Have you just given up on Everton? Is that why you're saying that? Something's gone horribly wrong there that they're not going to fix now. They might fix it in the brief summer break, but they're not going to fix it now. They're getting worse by the second. Well, should we give some hope, Gregor, to our producer, Max, a West Ham <laughs> fan, obviously. Uh, they have to play Watford. They have to, <laughs> they have to play Villa, two sides then who are around them. Those matches will be crucial, obviously. Difficult to take on an informed Manchester United right now. Not to discount that they couldn't pull off something there. But those two games will be two games that David Moyes will be looking at getting six points from, Watford and, and Villa. Well, I think when you, you know, if we ask who's got the best running, really... It probably has to be West Ham because it's in their hands, you know. It, and I say that because when they're, you know, you're obviously playing teams that are down there, it's it's worth so much more. So, um, I, but I honestly think either one of them, West Ham or Watford, win. They're safe. Uh, Watford perhaps would still be slightly, slightly at risk because their goal difference isn't as good. But uh, certainly, if West Ham were to beat Watford, they're safe. So really, you know. How that would play out for for the rest of the season, you know, if they've got Villa in the last day, they might well be safe. Um, so it's really very hard to very hard to pick who's going to stay up or stay up or go down. But I agree. I never saw I never saw Bournemouth Bournemouth result coming one bit, and mm. especially after the first half performance, Solanke turning up after so long and and getting a couple of goals. Um, and I, I think Eddie Howe's been fascinating in the last few weeks. He's always so kind of steely and. Um, you know, he doesn't give much away. He's quite kind of assured and everything. He's it's his football club. He's done all this, but he looks very emotional at the moment. He looks kind of shell shocked, and um, I don't know. He's, he almost looked like his eyes were glistening over a little bit after that game. He looked like he kind of they knew they were they were at death's door at half time, and he probably said some some pretty uh, inspiring stroke uh, harsh words at half time, and they came out and. And, and got a response, so you know that's that's obviously a huge boost for them. I think they thought they were they were dead and buried, and they have they have got a slight chance now. A slight chance indeed. Shall we put you on the spot again then? Shall we go for the three teams you think uh, will be heading into the championship? We know that, of course, Norwich is confirmed. They have been relegated after the weekend's results. Who can join them? Who will finish uh, in your relegation zone, nineteenth and eighteenth place, Alison? Uh, I'm going to go for Villa and Watford as the other two to go down. 
I'll change my mind tomorrow, but that's what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> okay, so is it Villa 19th, Watford 18th for you? Yeah. And then who would be 17th and 16th? Oh, come on. Doesn't matter, <laughs> does it? Well, I was just curious to know how, you know, is it, is it Bournemouth who just sneak out and it's Watford? I'd just like to be, I don't know if it was West Ham. I don't know if our producer, Max, is going to be scared come that final game of the season, but they somehow managed to pull it off. I do not and know. I think West Ham will leapfrog Brighton and um, Bournemouth will leapfrog Watford. Okay. All right. So your bottom three then, Watford, Villa and Norwich. Gregor? I won't I ask just... you for 16th and 17th because Alison didn't like it, so I'm not going to try and ask again. <laughs> I think... Um... Oh, God, it's hard. I think, as is, I think Bournemouth and Villa are still going to go down. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if don't get me wrong, if West Ham beat Watford, Watford are in trouble. But I still, you know, despite what Alison was saying about people seem to to kind of gloss over their, their uh, how precarious a position they're in, they do seem to be able to find something from somewhere to kind of to pull off a, a shock result, um, and I think even though their their final two games um, are against Man City and Arsenal, I th- there's no reason why they couldn't beat Arsenal. So I think mm. I think Bournemouth have left it too late, and Villa, I think Villa as well. You know, they've been shocking since since the restart and. Uh, Again, they've left it too late as well. Mm. And just a, a final word then on Alison. You're saying that Bournemouth will survive, but I mean they've got to take on Man City and Southampton, a side that's also showing some resurgence. Do you really think they can get anything out of those two games to then set themselves up for an opportunity to beat Everton in that final game of the season? Uh, well, from one of them, they will. Yes, I, I just think I just think it's all gone a bit crazy now. So if they <laughs> if, if you accept that the three points against Everton are in the bag. And that Watford will suffer having lost against West Ham and then have a wobble. I just feel it's a bit about momentum. It's a bit about, yeah, like Gregor said, did something happen at half time against Leicester that will last them through to give them give them that oomph that's that Watford might lack. I mean, I think mathematically, you know, if you're talking about your statistics and betting odds, yeah, it looks it looks like the current bottom three are there. But it's just Sometimes things happen and the game against Leicester was so wacky and so ridiculous that you sort of want it to have meaning. Mm. And I can almost now see us talking at the start of next season, the game podcast, looking at the teams that survived and pinpointing that halftime against Leicester as the reason that Bournemouth stayed up. It's got to mean something. Mm. What, like about, that. what about Norwich though? They've still got a chance, haven't they? Oh, <laughs> <Gregor>. <laughs> oh, good, good, good God, but that was a good, good call, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Yes, exactly, Gregor. I mean, you were very firm that playing behind closed doors it didn't hurt them one bit, did it? Unfortunately, Indeed, yeah. no. I spoke to Jeremy. <laughs> I spoke to Jeremy Goss yesterday about his feelings, you know, the great ex-Norwich player. I spoke about his feelings about the club going down. And he he was like us, Gregor. He thought the interruption of football would benefit Norwich. All those teams that had good things going for them, a bit of momentum, all be 
all be struck struck down by the paralysis of not playing. And then Norwich, who had been playing well but needed something, needed a boost, would come through. And he was absolutely appalled at how unfit they came back. And I think you and I were both guilty of thinking, it's okay. They just need one more game to get into that groove at the start of the season when they were so impressive. And they never did. And he doesn't know why that happened and he suspects the manager doesn't know why that happened. And it may just be that it was simply too young and under too much pressure. But the, 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 of all the clubs that suffered from the break in football, it was it was Norwich who came back appallingly unready for it. And I think it's I think it's fascinating. Like Norwich's season has been fascinating. You know, they've stuck so steadfastly to to the group of players who, who, who got them up in the championship. I think they spent one and a half million pounds last summer. And you know everyone's calling them naive and and you know foolish to have done so now and and it is it's going to be very interesting to see how they how they go next season because getting over this or kind of rebuilding some semblance of confidence after this next season is going to be a real challenge. I remember interviewing Stuart Weber uh, towards the end of the promotion winning season, and he was the director of football and and. You know, he said there was little things they did the season, the summer before, uh, to try and kind of give them a boost. I think they'd sold James Madison, they'd sold a few players, and I think he recognised that they were they were returning with their kind of heads heads down a little bit, thinking they didn't have much of a chance of winning promotion. And so they did little things like put new imagery on the walls in the training ground, or get them a private jet to. To the to their pre-season camp instead of going with EasyJet. I don't think little things like that are going to work anymore. I think this has been such a demoralising season for for them. They've lost with such regularity, uh, and if there's a chance that they're going to have to, well, they don't have to, but they're going to have to uh, cope with some some bids for some of the young players. I think it's going to be interesting to see whether this whether you know their idea of being sensible, financially prudent, is actually going to be to their detriment next season. Maybe we need, for Norwich's sake, we need financial unfair play. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, that could have helped them. Uh, As it is, unfortunately, they have been relegated. That is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to Alison. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Thursday for the very latest game podcast. Stay safe. Thank you.